This is Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardell. Toronto's News, today's talk, 640 Toronto. It is another Saturday night, my friends. Time to talk money. That's what the show's all about. I am Wolfgang Klein, Jack Hardell, my partner, portfolio manager, uh, also a uh, former reserve in the Canadian military uh, with the rank of Captain, Captain Jack. It's a pleasure, Jack. Indeed, it is my friend. Um, Jack, you lined up almost Nodler, behavioral finance expert, uh, econometrics, um, economist, strategist, uh, behavioral finance expert. Uh, it's incredible what almost is capable of. Um, but to, why don't we start, if we may, uh, almost and welcome to the show. Jack, of course, thanks for setting, setting it all up. Uh, the war in Ukraine, gentlemen. Uh, yeah. You're both very qualified to talk about this subject matter, um, Jack. In terms of the strategy and the insanity behind Putin, I expect you'd be able to dissect his mindset for us to, later in the show, during the show. And almost, I want to talk about people and their action and reaction to the conflict, um, both abroad and here at home. Uh, why don't we start with you, Amos? Uh, war and what it's doing to people's psychology. Uh, well, hey guys, it's uh, it's always great to be here, and it's uh, it's tough to take on such a such a difficult topic. But I think it's important that, that we address it. Um, conflict uh, such as this, uh, I think it rattles everybody. I think it makes people more apprehensive about the future. Um, you know, the more details we know about the things that go on, the more we sort of struggle with with the facts and knowing these things are going on in a part of the world that most of us can't physically go out and help. And I think that's that's difficult and that's painful. Um, you know, given the show is is largely about uh, about finance, but also about the kind of human element in finance. I think that we have to be able to live in two worlds. One is our human world and how we feel about the conflict and the, all the emotions we have around it. And then what do we do in terms of, you know, um, positioning our own, you know, our own futures. So without getting into things like sanctions and getting involved politically, I think, you know, keep it to what do we do in our own lives and our own portfolios? Sure, we, we can, you know, donate money, we can support it in that regard. But I think what happens with people's portfolios and investments is they start to get pulled into things like, oh, energy is going to be happening. Uh, this is what's going on in the energy sector. This is what's happening with defense. And they start to make these bets about specific companies in areas that they don't really know anything about, but are suddenly salient in the news, like you know, natural gas is an issue, arms is an issue. And I think that people can go astray by uh, diving into those kind of single stock bets uh, just because there's a war. So I think it's just important that we live kind of in these two worlds and realize that just because there's a war going on, it doesn't necessarily make us an expert about investing in a specific field that is now salient in the news. Well, look, I got, I got to interject. You're making a very good point. And this morning, I was just taking a look at the price of natural gas and my jaw dropped. Uh, how did natural mm-hmm. gas go from $3 to $7.40? Uh, it seemed to happen in a flash. Uh, I was be- I was very bored with natural gas. I was watching nat- natural gas since Amaranth. There was a uh, hedge fund that blew up in the nat gas space. Nat gas back in 2007 or so was around $15 per uh, BTU. Uh, it imploded down to under $2 and sat there flatline between two and three forever. Uh, and then all of a sudden it, it popped. So the point is, once the story is front page, the move has greatly occurred. Uh, in other words, kind of late to put the trade on now. You don't want to be chasing mm-hmm. anything when, when it comes to the world of investing. So those who are buying the first barrel of 
crude or first energy stock here, you're, you're a latecomer to the party. It doesn't mean it won't go mm-hmm. higher, but the easy money has been made. CNQ, Canada's flagship energy producer, uh, it was $30 some year and a half ago. It's now at 75 or $80, uh, $82, as a matter of fact, as I speak. So, again, the big move uh, has been put, to high, put behind us. And I, your point is very interesting because Jack and I will, you know, we have, we have these longstanding relationships with clients. And, you know, for the most part, they're, they're like very fine passengers on a uh, 747 jet. They remain seated. They enjoy their cocktail. They enjoy the movie. They're good passengers. Rarely do they get out of their seat and come to the pilot and tell the pilot what to do. But every now and then they do. It's so rare, but every now and then there's turbulence going on. They unbuckle their seatbelt when they shouldn't, and they walk up to the front of the cockpit, and they say, hey, uh, pilot, land the plane as he's over, over an ocean. <laughs> you, can't, you can't do it. you got to wait. you got to Deal with the turbulence, is remain seated. The pilot knows what he's doing. He will get you across the pond. Uh, but if they all of a sudden start making these uh, one-off decisions, uh, it, it, it can wreak havoc with their portfolio. Jack, you probably want to pipe in on this one. I know you're grinning cheek to cheek on it. That's absolutely right, Wolfgang. Clients think short-term. They get caught up in the news feed. They forget about their long-term plan. And they make emotional decisions. And emotions are the enemy of a long-term investor. Well, Amos, you're the expert in that one. So uh, have, you, have you noticed a lot of this activity? Because the other thing that's taking place, Amos, uh, we spoke about commodity prices, oh. but interest rates are, are on the uptick. Uh, a lot of people right now uh, who are in a variable rate situation are contemplating locking in on their mortgage. Uh, is, that, is that a sound decision or is that an emotional decision? Uh, well, that's that's uh, that's the billion-dollar question in terms of predicting interest rates. I mean, if anybody were able to do that in a perfectly systematic way, they would have what's called a money pump, and uh, they would be buying up items if they need to. Um, I mean, everyone's trying to optimize and re-optimize given new information. So the Bank of Canada yesterday announced a large a large hike. You know, the Fed is also doing that. And so given that Canada has its relatively short-term horizon on mortgages, whereas in the U.S., you can get a 30-year mortgage and not really care about these short-term fluctuations, homeowners who, you know, especially in the last few years as prices have skyrocketed, are now potentially going to be, you know, I hate to say this, but some people may be underwater as, as home prices don't rise at the same rate or don't rise at all. Um, and so it has not just an effect on people's mortgages, but certainly on, on industry. So if you look at the cost of capital, and this is, this is crucial for, for any firm, is you look at their, you know, their debt-to-equity ratio and understand their exposure that they have, that they have because as interest rates go up, uh, their, their basically monthly payments, if you want to think about it in a simple way, go up as well. And so profitability will go down. So as investors, again, I'm not recommending this for single stock picking, but you know, trust your advisors or trust the, uh, the delegated authorities to, to do their due diligence on firms are heavily levered and will be severely impacted by higher interest payments. So those are things that professionals talk about. That's part of the, the allocation decision. Um, and so if you're clients, you can maybe ask, you know, the professionals managing your money, what's going on, but, but this is part of the due diligence and in the asset allocation process. Um, so if you're listening to this, you know, rest assured that, you know, the guys, Jack and, uh, and Wolf and these guys are aware of these fundamental issues and the way that these macroeconomic forces kind of work their way, their way through your portfolio. A lot of forces at play right now, from war to commodity prices, rising interest rates, and 
perhaps a, well, not perhaps a slowing, although still growing economy. Uh, the next question on the table is, uh, is the economy going to tilt itself into recession? Uh, again, the power of the masses almost, I think, have the ability to do that. Would you agree? Oh, that's another. Well, if you ask these really needy, like billion trillion dollar questions, and I love it. Um, I can take a corner of that question. That is part of. I mean, the economy is run by people, and, pe- and these people involve you know households and small medium businesses and corporations and government, and everybody's trying to optimize to to a new, to the new reality as it arises. The thing is, everybody's reacting to everybody else. You know, the, everybody reacts to the Fed. Everybody reacts to to new policy. Um, it, it's a moving target for everybody. And for example, if you think about it from the household level, if there is concern about significantly higher interest rates, they're going to re-optimize, which will have an impact on their spending, which will trickle its way through to small, medium businesses. And, and it makes it all its way down, all the way through to the tax base. And so uh, when we talk about these, these, you know, the, when we say the economy, it, it's hard to pick a more complex uh, sort of thing because it's a combination of people and laws and random factors like geopolitical, you know, situations. And so I think at best we can know a corner of it or a piece of it at any given time um, and do our best given the knowledge that we have and hopefully team up with people that have knowledge that we don't have. So I'm not making macro predictions at the moment, but I'm saying that all those factors you listed are giving people pause and are probably going to be pulling back on any major um, commitments of capital, whether that's to real estate investment or like durable goods. I think that people are putting some of those on pause. It may, you know, slow down the growth and maybe lead to recession. Uh, I want to ask each of you uh, the, the concept of the a new world order um, being tabled and discussed internationally, uh, with what's taking place with Russia and its quest to increase its uh, land mass. Jack, what are your thoughts on on, on the creation of a new world order? <laughs> How would it play out? And can you invest around it? And Amos, I want you to answer the same question too, please. Uh, so over to you, Amos. New world order. Sure. Sure. I think to understand the current situation, it's helpful to take a long, long historical view of human history. Now, uh, I grew up in the Middle East where wars are common and we have a long, long lens of, of history. So if you think about the Roman Empire, you think about any specific empire in, in wanting to impose a new world order, um, plans typically don't work out as long as they, as they plan. It doesn't last as long as they want. And um, leaders tend to be overconfident as they go along. So investing around something that's un, as uncertain as, you know, somebody saying there's a new world order, I think is quite difficult. Uh, and as things unfold in the next six months, I think that we'll have a better idea but at the bottom line, there are fundamentals that are not going to change, and certain um, sort of reliable consumption patterns aren't going to change. And that's sort of why pattern um, investing mandates around the reliable patterns that exist, regardless of whether there's conflict or not. But I, you know, I, but I will say to to your points and, and challenge you a bit on them in the interest of time. Uh, without question, supply chain is changing. Uh, we're seeing it firsthand. And again, Russia was a big supplier of all of these items to the international community, as was Ukraine. Ukraine has been decimated. We'll see how quickly it can get its stuff back up online. But the world does not want to do business with Russia in the short term. And I'm going to say in the midterm as well, how it affects the long term. 
that will, of course, be seen. Amos Nadler, uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the show, my friend. I uh, appreciate you stepping in here. As always, crazy times and, uh, you know, senior heads will prevail. Good over evil. My friends, we have to pray for Ukraine. Uh, Amos, my good friend, uh, you stay safe. And uh, we'll get you back on the show very, very soon. Go take a quick break. Show is Hi-Fi Radio, 640 in Toronto. Get Jack back on the line. He dropped on me. Hope he's okay. I'm sure he is. Uh, friends, stay tuned. More show right after this. Let's take a break. Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto. So, I wish I didn't play that song, but I had to. Disgusting what's going on. Killing me. Absolutely killing me. It's killing all of us. Oh, my God. Displacement of over 4 million people. Cluster bombs. Innocent civilians. Children being murdered daily. Disgusting. Makes me absolutely sick. Uh, as the world is. Uh, just standing by. Uh, doing its thing. Uh the world, I, I do believe, is trying uh, to right this problem. Uh, I personally wish uh, 150 nations would march over collectively. Collectively. We need to do this collectively and get in, in you, right in front of those front lines and say, take us all on. SOBs. My God. The Sci-Fi Radio Show about money. Of course, the war has pushed prices of oil up. We're feeling it at the pumps. We're feeling it at the kitchen table. And, uh, yeah, uh, unease. Uh, is never a good thing. The market hates uncertainty. Uh, delight to have a uh, heavyweight from Bay Street uh, join us. Well, I should say Calgary. Um, <laughs> Steve Kim. Uh, he's a sub-advisor uh, for IA Clarington, uh, QV Investors, uh, Calgary-based, asset manager. Uh, been in business since the 90s. Uh, he's a sub-advisor to IA Clarington, managing three funds, including the IA, uh, the IA Clarington uh, Canadian small cap class. Um, welcome to the show, Steve. I appreciate you spending some time with us and sharing with us your wisdom. Uh, may you live in interesting times. Well, the proverb goes, I don't know if this is what they were referring to, but uh, the, the, the dynamics have changed uh, without question. Uh, what's your opinion uh, as, as an investment uh, advisor and as a portfolio manager? Uh, <laughs> 2022, interest rates rising, inflation uh, almost out of control economy slowing down, and we have ourselves uh, perhaps the onset of World War III. Thanks for having me on the show. And in terms of thoughts on what's happening, we uh, it's, it's terrible, obviously, what's happening in Europe. And I think the important thing that's been highlighted in the early part of this year is this idea that you need to invest and be prepared for lots of different things to happen, good and bad. And so because of that process that's been in place for a long time, uh, we've been consistent. We're uh, fairly focused on business fundamentals. We're very bottom-up. And so uh, we pay attention to the macro, but we are following closely what's happening within our companies and looking to try and have a, a bit of a differentiated uh, performance over time because of that focus. Well, so, Steve, you are a value manager. Uh 
value managers, I find, really do dig into their companies and focus more on the details and micro uh, rather than the big picture. And again, if you own good businesses, they tend to stand the test of time and tend to uh, overcome most obstacles put in their way. Uh, so share with us your uh, some of your favorite themes as, as, as 2022 uh, unfolds with all these forces at play. Sure. In terms of favorite themes, and as we think about what's happening, what has been consistent for us is to be diversified. And so you don't want to be uh, putting all your eggs in the proverbial one basket. You want to have exposure to different parts of the economy, uh, different types of spending. That That's become really important. And in terms of the inflation that we're seeing, having companies that can pass on uh, the input price increases uh, is important. And so as we think about the setup of our portfolio today, we're pretty pleased that we can own companies that can absorb these things and, and be resilient and perhaps be able to pass on some of these um, changes uh, in input costs. And just as an example, you think, think about a pharmacy uh, people are coming in, you're able to pass on your costs. If you're, we, we own a utility pole provider. If you have a regulated utility as a, a customer, they, they're able to pass that on and you're able to pass on your input cost increases. So uh, really that is the focus of what we're doing, diversity, uh, ability to find good franchises that can stand the test of time. And uh, th- that stays the same despite what's happening in the environment. Uh, let's talk about the, the rising price of oil. Um, being a Calgarian, uh, positioned in uh, uh, Canada's oil capital, what's your position on crude? Are you overweight? What type of names do you like? Give us your call on crude oil. Yeah, so we our, our crystal ball is not as good as anyone else's. And as you highlighted earlier, we are focused on the fundamentals. So from an energy perspective, what we have done over time is focus on finding value in the space, both quality and value in the space, and tread carefully. So typically what we've done in the energy space is focus on businesses that have more resilient business models uh, than perhaps a typical resource producer. So for example, um, late in 2020, we added some energy royalty companies, and because of the royalty structure, they have to spend less and they earn more profits on the barrels coming in. And so we, we think that's an appropriate risk managed way to get exposure to the space. Uh, the trade-off is, is when oil's really ripping, it uh, doesn't give us the, the torque that some of the weaker producers or levered producers might have. And so that's just some, something of a trade-off that we have to balance, but it's worked out well, uh, focusing on quality and resilience in a tough industry uh, over the, the, the past of our firm. Um, this week or last week, I guess it was this week, eh, Jack, we trimmed back some of our uh, financial exposure uh, just with the economy uh, slowing down, the yield curve starting to flirt with inversion uh, and, and, and the performance. Uh, the momentum was just not there. The trend was incorrect for the bank, so we, we lightened the load. Uh, I see here you like Canadian Western Bank. Uh, perhaps you're biased being on Calgary, but I'm not going to say that. And I'm sure you're not. You're a fundamental guy looking only at the balance sheet and income statement and business prospects for the business you invest in. But you're human, uh, as we all are. We tend to a bit of a home bias. Uh, nonetheless, uh, share with us uh, why you're keen on the Canadian Western Bank over the other big six uh, here at home. 
That's a good question. It is one of our top weights, and thank you for pointing out that we could be biased. Hopefully, I'll lay out the case for why we think <laughs> the fundamentals speak for themselves. So, uh, to begin with, it offers us value. So, it trades at a 20% discount on a PE basis relative to its own history and relative to the larger banks, which you mentioned. Also, we believe that there is quality here in the franchise and the earnings growth potential. And I'll just dig into a little bit deeper why we think they have a good franchise. So they are a commercial-focused lender, so they would be lending to small-medium businesses, which is the lifeblood of the Canadian economy. And because of that commercial focus, they have higher efficiency or, or less cost because it requires less people to run that type of operation. Hmm. Importantly, they've also uh, managed loan losses very well. And relative to some of the larger banks, they actually lose less uh, money per dollar of loan through difficult cycles. And so we really think that uh, from a long-term perspective and investing through good and bad times, this is the kind of franchise that makes a lot of sense. And sorry to drone on, but the, the last thing no. I have to highlight here is that despite their name, uh, Western, they actually have built out 20% of over 20% of their loan portfolio in Ontario. And that has us uh, very interested because Ontario is the uh, largest province in Canada by population. And it's almost like entering uh, a new country, uh, expanding markets. And because of its size, they have a very long runway. And because they haven't been there long, they are very asset light in the province. And we think can really pick up on some of the themes that we're seeing in terms of being able to provide digital offerings, be efficient, and capture some market share and, and continue what they've done over the past 20 years uh, in, in Western Canada, uh, in Ontario. We're speaking with Steve Kim. Uh, he is with IA Clarington. He's a sub-advisor uh, uh, working through his firm, uh, QV Investors. Uh, he manages three funds uh, for IA Clarington, very, very astute uh, individual uh, based out of Calgary, of course, get a different perspective uh, on the Canadian market when you speak to folks in the West because uh, they tend to know more about the commodity cycle than we do out here in the East. Uh, just the way it is, big country we do live in. It's a beautiful country, in fact. Uh, Jack, uh, you got a couple questions for Steve here uh, that's uh, chomping at the bit for? Yeah, well, looking at the banking sector, obviously, uh, real estate's front and center right now. Uh, across Canada, and you know the fact that interest rates are rising uh, is going to start squeezing some people, especially on uh, those variable rate loans and the home credit lines that people really took out and uh, uh, spent a lot of money on stuff during the pandemic. Uh, loan loss provisions, uh, Steve, is that something that that you're concerned about? I know you mentioned that um, Western Bank typically does better in downturns, but I just saw J.P. Morgan; they came out with a big loan loss provision, uh, just looking at where we're at in the cycle and potentially not going into recession in the next six to 12 months, but it's in the, I'd say, medium to longer term time horizon. Yeah, it's an important question, particularly in Canada. And if I can offer some insight from a Canadian perspective, generally speaking, uh, the regulators have done a good job at making clear uh, what capital is needed and a really good evaluation of of different parts of the cycle and losses historically and pushed for healthier banks. And so we have seen that generally in Canada. So I think that's a, a, a pretty 
uh, reasonable backdrop from a positive factor perspective. Uh, as we think about things going forward from a loan loss perspective, uh, things could creep up for sure. But when we think about uh, borrowers themselves, they have been held to stricter standards. So we think there could be a little bit of help there. But no question, consumers are going to be feeling the pinch, uh, especially as rates increase a little bit further and they just have a little bit less in their genes to, to spend and help the economy. And that can continue on as well. So we're being cautious. But we do think that things have improved uh, versus prior cycles uh, from a Canadian perspective on the financial side. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio, 640 in Toronto, show about money each and every Saturday night. I am Wolfgang Klein. Please, if you have any questions for Jack or I, uh, WolfgangKlein.com, reach out to us. It's always a delight to speak with our listeners and fans of the show that airs each and every Saturday night right here on 640 in Toronto. We're going to take a quick break, get right back with Steve Kim, uh, Portfolio Manager for IA Clarington. We're talking about the Canadian stock market. Stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. There's more Hi-Fi Radio in a moment on 640 Toronto. My friends, show about money. What a rapper, eh? Rapping in Montreal, little loving, eh? <laughs> John Lennon. Where are you? We need people like him right now. Actually, a, a good friend of mine, George Axon. He's a uh, music producer and uh, of Russian descent. Uh, I shall say, I guess second or third generation Canadian. And I asked him, uh, I said, you must write a song uh, and send it to Putin. Uh, he said, as a matter of fact, a friend of mine just sent me the lyrics and I'm going to be putting tracks to it and send it over to Russia. I just looked for those people in Russia. The, 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 the media. Wow. Unbelievable. You talk about fake news, according to what we're being told, which I do believe. Uh, the, that is fake news, what the Russians are receiving. Um, the world does not run efficiently uh, when you have dislocations like that. And indeed, the world is being rethought. Uh, I think in many ways, a new order, a new world order is being created and supply chains uh, are being discussed and perhaps uh, rethought, reevaluated, renegotiated. Um, and I'm seeing that with the stock of ours here at home, uh, a large cap, one of the biggest in the world when it comes to fertilizer production, a company called Nutrien, uh, formerly Agrium uh, and uh, Potash, they merged. Uh, it's incredible. Jesse Livermore, reminiscence of a stock operator, always spoke about a stock um, flirting with 100. 100 in stock land is called par. And it's, it's incredible because the stock can flirt just below 100 for an extended period of time. But once it penetrates 100, it tends to go significantly higher. That's exactly what Nutrient did. It, it, it was flirting with just about 100 for months last year. And then, bammo. It went through 100 and straight to 140 in but three months. The second point about Nutrien, I sent these notes to Jack this morning, uh, and commodity stocks en masse. I learned this in rookie school 21 years ago. When you're looking at commodity stocks, if you want to look at the fundamentals, the earnings of the company, the best time to buy commodity stocks is when they're losing money. The best time to sell commodity stocks is when they're making money. When they're losing money, they have no P.E., and when they're making money, they have a very low P.E. 
And again, remarkable, Nutrient uh, was trading at 30 times earnings. It is now trading at nine times earnings. Steve Kim's on the line. He is a portfolio manager uh, with QV Investors in Calgary, asset-based manager, sub-advisor to IE Clarington, uh, which means he runs three funds for them, including the Canadian small cap class. Um, Steve, I want you to speak to exactly what I just spoke to about, A, stocks flirting with par and then moving. I'm not sure if you're aware of that phenomena. Um, and then, two, buying or trading commodity stocks. Buying them when they're, and again, being a value investor, I think you'd probably be best equipped to buy them when they're losing money and sell them when they're making a lot of money. Do you agree with me? And speak to it if you can. Yeah, you can't see it because we're on the radio, but I was nodding my head. Uh, while you're talking about the best times to be buying some of these businesses and the best times to be selling them. And that that is the case. Um, I don't think you can go out there and buy indiscriminately when they're losing money, but you want to look for those players that have low costs, uh, that have sustainable businesses. And we think that is absolutely the best time or to, the, the time to put the odds in your favor when you want to invest with commodities, because let's face it, it's very volatile. It can be very cyclical. We learned that in Canada, particularly in small cap Canada. And so it's about managing your risk, looking for those businesses and managing the price you pay and the execution that's priced into some of these businesses. So definitely wholeheartedly agree with you about kind of the the best times to to buy and the best times to sell. And then with respect to your question on uh, having businesses that are kind of flirting with, with par, as you put it, uh, definitely do see that uh, a, a lot of times it, it takes time for uh, businesses to, to get traction, uh, to get back credibility, uh, to prove that they uh, can do what they say and their business can perform. And we often find that uh, once they reach that tipping point, uh, it, it, it changes, and uh, it, it's nice to be able to see this from a small cap perspective because you'll have small companies that uh, have, have not been paid attention to for a long time, and they'll reach a certain point. It gets on large cap radars, uh, and it becomes a different conversation. So definitely agree with you, uh, especially when the, the fundamentals often speak for themselves, but there's a gap there in terms of perception of them. Steve Kim, a certified financial analyst, a sub-advisor to IA Clarington, spending uh, this Saturday evening with us on High Fire Radio. Uh, it's a pleasure uh, digging deep into uh, some concepts uh, that certainly do affect uh, all Canadian investors. So we spoke about buying commodity stocks when no one likes them, when they look expensive. Again, they look expensive when they're not making money because uh, there's very little earnings to support uh, the price of the share. Uh, flip it around. They're making a lot of money right now. You're seeing the PR on television, uh, how oil companies are taking advantage of individuals uh, over through the war in uh, Ukraine. Uh, of course, I've got that been doctoring and it is lobbying because uh, these companies, no, no one, no one uh, pitied the oil companies when they were losing money. But what, God forbid, they should make money. Of course, they should make money. They need to make money if you want them to continue to extract fuel from the ground, uh, which we all do. We continue to use 100 million barrels of oil a day. But uh, here we are making a lot of money. Uh, Steve Kim, would you be selling commodities right here, right now? That's a very good question. And I think it really depends on how your portfolio is constructed, uh, how much exposure you have, and what um, type of risk you see going forward in some of your positions. Uh, I can't speak to the way our portfolio is set up. And because we are tilted to 
some of the businesses that are secondary or think service companies, their profit cycle actually hasn't quite caught up yet with how the producers themselves are doing. And so when we think about our own positioning, we do think that there is maybe uh, a little bit more room for some of our service companies to uh, extract some additional value that for a long time uh, has not been available uh, for them, given kind of the backdrop for declining commodity prices. And so we have seen a, a lot of supply come out in terms of labor, people moving on, doing different things. Uh, there being the, the natural business cycle of, of companies folding in tough times. And so it could be an interesting setup here for some of our service companies as they look to capitalize on customers who are in better shape, uh, who haven't quite benefited as much yet. Uh, we're speaking with Steve Kim. Uh, he's a portfolio manager, uh, asset manager uh, with QV Investors, based in Calgary. Uh, he works uh, or services uh, for IA Clarington. IA Clarington, of course, is a big mutual fund company uh, with a lot of different managers uh, working uh, for them to help people build wealth. Uh, the show is Hi-Fi Radio. We're going to take a quick break and get right back to Steve. And, of course, uh, Jack, got a few questions for Steve as well. And it's all about a little money workshop to help us all have more of it. Stay tuned, my friends. We'll be right back. Want to make more money? Stay tuned for more Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto. I know you're waking for the CIA. They wouldn't have you in the bye-bye. When will it end? When will it end? Not soon enough. Got to end, and it will end. Uh, indeed, it will. Indeed, it will. Um, what are your loose thoughts, if I may? Uh, again, if you're just tuning into the show, the Sci-Fi Radio Show about money. Uh, Wolfgang Klein, portfolio manager. My partner Jack Hartle, portfolio manager as well. Uh, Steve Kim is a asset manager uh, working uh, for IA Clarington. Uh, manages three different funds for them, but. Just thinking outside the box, uh, Steve, with the war in Ukraine, what has changed? What will change business-wise permanently? That's a very good question. Um, If you give me a sec, let me just consider that and see if I could give you a a thoughtful response. Yeah, because we're speaking about supply chains being negotiated. Uh, You know, no longer, I think, will the will. The world in the midterm will the world accept Russian crude? Uh, again, you being an oil expert, let, let's speak about that. Then, what is going to happen to Russians' barrels of crude? Are they stop? Are they going to stop pumping? They can't do that. Once once you get the pump, the, the oil flowing, it continues to flow. What are they going to do with it? Yeah, I think that from a supply perspective, what this has highlighted, and going back to that initial question, what could change? I think there is a a view that energy security is important and uh, perhaps some of the social aspects of what you're supporting, depending on who you're buying from, uh, becomes a a further consideration. Uh, Speaking to what could change from an overall perspective go forward, I think this is maybe part of the move that we've seen over the past few years is uh, we've seen a little bit of a trend of uh, deglobalization, if I could call it that, where yeah. countries are beginning to focus uh, more on um, domestic, uh, what they can do, uh, how they can support their own economy, 
and things like the pandemic, um, alongside uh, geopolitical conflicts, raise this issue of, hey, uh, we've been going outside of our borders to find the, the, the cheapest products, but that has concentrated supply of different things, uh, i.e. something like healthcare. So we, we, I think, are going to see a bit of a shift uh, in North America to perhaps maybe bring a little bit more back um, and, and to go back to one of the themes we started with, a little bit more resiliency to the economy, to have a bit more flexibility. And that could maybe turn into a few more jobs for North Americans. Uh, but it will, I think, in, in the long run, also support just a, a little bit more flexibility in our global economy. Well, I also think you're going to see it causing a higher degree of inflationary pressure. Obviously, wages uh, are a big factor for outsourcing overseas, notably to Asia. If we begin more manufacturing in the semiconductor sector, for example, the battery industry, uh, they, they will be good paying jobs. Uh, and again, to compete with the the Taiwanese uh, will, will not be easy, but if you have that competitive advantage of uh, at home, secure, on time, there's a benefit to it, but there's also a cost to it. Uh, Jack, uh, please uh, share with us your thoughts. Yeah, well, uh, globalization brought us lower prices, right? Uh, cheaper goods were produced globally uh, at lower wages, I, I would say, with employment standards below what we would expect here in North America. Um, and as we uh, at the margin, um, get more protectionist. And we saw that initially with Trump back in, I think it was 2018. Um, and then, you know, the, uh, the, the COVID crisis where we had supplies being restricted. You know, our friendly neighbors um, to the south were restricting um, masks and other medical supplies that were needed because everyone obviously is going to take care of their, uh, their country first. And we also saw that with vaccines as well. Canada was kind of late to the game there. But um, you see that with Trump, COVID, and then now Ukraine, these are all protectionist elements that just keep on compounding on one another. Um, and we're, you know, we're right in the middle of the reopening trade where commodities were supposed to benefit, all those hard assets uh, were supposed to, to get a, a bit of a bid. And then sort of out of the blue, Ukraine sideswiped the markets and really disrupted um, global supply chain and global commodities. So um, right now we're living with the results of that and you're seeing higher energy prices in Canada, although we're energy independent in, in North America, for the most part, so we're less affected. Um, it, it's hitting us at the pumps. Uh, it's hitting us immediately. You know, yes, what's on my mind here, it's, it's incredible. Uh, when they occupied the bridge in Windsor, uh, there was so much speak about our, our supplying the U.S. automotive industry would be completely shut down because they don't want any kind of supply disruption. Good golly. A war? Disrupting supply versus our, our little taking over of a bridge for a couple of weeks. Unbelievable uh, change and acceleration uh, in, in really the same direction. Um, yeah. Kim, uh, please, uh, final thoughts uh, on some sound investing advice for investors to help us get through uh, 2022. Uh, the table is yours for about uh, 60 seconds, pal. Great. Um, I, I think you always got to buy on the basis of value and what you pay for a business matters. Fundamentals matter. And ultimately, you're looking to buy businesses at a, a discount to what you think they're worth. And that's going to give you that margin of safety to protect and compound capital as well. And the other part of the equation, going back to some of your earlier comments, is to be investing in those companies that can stand the test of time. 
uh, and that can grow on a per share basis, pass on inflation, um, and generate more than they spend. And if you do that on a diversified basis, uh, feel your outcomes can be pretty reasonable and, and be prepared for uh, good times and bad times would, would be some last thoughts there. Hope that's helpful. No, it, it really is. And your point about uh, preparation uh, cannot be um, punctuated enough. Uh, preparing means to do in advance of and preparing for the unexpected. Jack, as a military man, you know the importance of that. And Steve, you, 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 you reinvited that concept to us uh, right here. Uh, it is so important uh, in advance of the unexpected. It can occur and often. That's why some people always have a bit of gold, for example, uh, in their portfolios. And I didn't say uh, non-fungible to- tokens there, friend. I said gold. Uh, not that I'm a big bull in it, but hey, uh, it's, it's got a bid right now to it. Uh, so every now and then some things you don't like, a little bit of them in your portfolio can actually act as ballast and help you out uh, when you least expect it. That's it for the show, my friends. Uh, show about money each and every Saturday night right here on 640 in Toronto. Please, any questions Questions for Jack or I, uh, if you're, of course, not satisfied with your current investment strategy and looking for an alternative, uh, check us out, WolfgangKlein.com. We publish our performance monthly. I think we're the only advisors in Canada that uh, have the guts to do that. We benchmark our work. There's statistics against our, our portfolios. They're alpha. the Sortino ratios. Sharp, amazing stuff. It is institutional-style offering for you, the retail investor. It's a pleasure to take care of you each and every Saturday night. Wish you a great weekend. Stay safe and pray for Ukraine. God bless. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardhill, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any questions about money, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. Join us again next week.